The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Thank you for being with us today. I, uh, I apologize uh, that you're sitting on one another's laps in this ser- service, but I uh, do want to remind you again, we have another service and you should have given more to build. So there we go. That was a joke. Somebody's looking, you're looking at me like, did he say that? Yeah, I just said that. Sorry. It's what we do. If no one else wants to say it, that's what we do in Buckley. We just say it. But uh, we're uh, uh, finishing up our series today uh, entitled, What is Love? You know, this church, uh, we say that we're a church that loves God and loves people. The problem is, is for most of us, we've been taught that love is a feeling when in reality, love's a choice. Or we kind of give and receive love very conditionally when the reality is, is the love that we give and receive from God is unconditional. That's the kind of love that we're given and the kind of love that we're called to love the same way. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and in fact, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to look at the second half of that. Before uh, we start, though, I heard a story about a young man that uh, decided that he knew for sure what love is. He'd gotten home late the night before from a date with his girlfriend. His parents were already in bed, and the next morning over breakfast, he had a conversation with his dad, and he said, Dad... I know what love is now, and I want to get married. And the father looked at his son, and he said, Well, how do you know what love is, you whippersnapper, young man, whatever? How do you know that you love enough to get married? And he said, Well, Dad, last night I was kissing uh, my girlfriend goodnight, and her dog bit me, but I didn't feel it till I got home. <laughs> ah, he might be on to something right there. Now, it's debatable whether that was love or lust. I'm not sure, right? But definitely, I would agree with that young man that with love, real love is going to cost you something. Real love, there's a certain amount of pain that we endure and we're going to have to learn to ignore. This is the fierce love of God. And I think the way that we're called to love fiercely as well. If you want a marriage to last, you're going to have to learn to love fiercely, to choose to love fiercely you've ever had heartbreak with a child or a family member, someone that's run far from you or far from God, you're going to have to learn to love fiercely. If you've ever had an enemy and then you've read what the scripture says, it says, love your enemies. How are you, what does that love look like? It's not you know, like a Nicholas Sparks kind of mushy kind of love that will get you through there. The only way to love your enemies, it's going to be a fierce kind of love. Well, just as matter of review, I'm not going to read all of the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to remind us kind of the direction of, of Paul's writing. He started by saying that if we speak in the tongues of men or angels, but if we don't have love, we're just noise. He goes on to say, if we have great faith or knowledge, if you're a real spiritual person, you go to church a lot, you know a lot of verses, You've done some Beth Moore Bible studies, right? You've, you know, you've read a lot of Ravi Zacharias and you're good at apologetics and, and, and you've got all this education. If you don't have love, you're nothing. You are nothing, you gain nothing. In fact, we said it's like being a noisy nothing. 
You know, he goes on to say that if you sacrifice a lot, you sacrifice your body, you can sacrifice your money, you can, you can be someone that's very generous, but if you don't have love, you'll gain nothing. And then it got to the mushy part, the kind we like at weddings, the part that says that love is patient and kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's humble, it's not arrogant or rude. It says that it doesn't insist on its own way. Remember, we said it leaves room for others. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't keep track of everything wrong that everyone does around them. And that it rejoices in the truth, not in lies. And then we get to verse 7. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at verse 7 because verse 7 kind of says, this is how love proceeds. So in verses 1 through 6, it kind of gives us a description of love. This is what love is, and this is what love isn't. But then in verse 7, it tells us specifically how that plays out. And it's graphic language, and, and it bears taking a little bit of time, and then we'll go uh, through the last part, 8 through 13. In verse 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Those are four different words. It bears, believes, hopes, and endures. And if you notice... The first word in that verse, that it bears all things, and then the last little exhortation, that it, that it endures all things, those are very similar. Those are kind of like warnings. I want to warn you that real love is going to have to bear something. There's a weight. There's some pain that's going to come with love. And then he doubles down at the end of the verse by reminding us that it's going to have to endure something. And then in the middle... It says that it believes in hopes, and those two are very much alike as well. So we're going to start in the middle, and we'll work out. So he says that love, the kind of loving God and loving people that we're called to, is the kind of love that believes all things and hopes all things. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we just believe everything we're told, every little lie, everything on the news or the internet or on Twitter, the bathroom wall of social media? You'll get that later. No, when it says it believes all things, we're talking about how we love. And I think what Paul's telling us is the kind of love that God calls us to is to believe the best in others. To believe the best first. It's not saying be gullible, but it means to give the benefit of the doubt. We do the opposite, don't we? Don't we, fourth service? Help me out here. Listen, I've been working all weekend. You just woke up. (laughs) Help me out. Love believes the best, but what we do as human beings is we love to believe the worst. We assume the worst. We teach our kids, don't trust a stranger. We meet a politician and we believe, well, maybe we should, okay? (laughs) But that's not what love is. Love chooses to believe the best. We talked about that a little bit last week where we said, you know, that which you latch your mind onto, that's going to become true. So in a marriage or in a relationship or in a friendship, if you're always looking for the bad, you're going to find the bad. Instead of choosing that whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is noble is right, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Well, he says it again right here. Believes all things. A love that believes all things is believing the best in you first instead of the worst. 
believing the best instead of the worst. You know, this church, by God's grace, has grown a ton in the last decade. And it's hard to believe I've, I've been here over a decade, so I've got to observe a lot of that stuff. And, and, and what we see in a small community like ours is the more and more people that come, the better chance it is that we might know somebody at church. Isn't that interesting? But the problem is it's a small community and there's more and more and more of us. So you get more people together and there's an opportunity for conflict or disagreement sometimes, right? Right? And then what we experience is in a small community, everybody knows what everybody else did, don't they? And I know what you did and you know what she did and they know what I did to them about them and then they spread it. And then we all come to church because our lives are changed by Jesus. I don't see any problem with that at all. There's going to be no disasters. There's going to be no hurt feelings. Are you kidding? Some of you manipulate which service you come to so you don't have to see him or her. And maybe that's a good idea because we don't need security here yet, right? (laughs) But when you have all these people, there can be disagreement. There can be conflict. And then you start to have a staff and the staff's starting to grow. And and then when you have God's people that are being changed and we're trying to do our best to love, but, but then, you know, you might hear something. This person hurt my feelings. This person said something. This person did that. And, and, and there's an opportunity for unity to just be destroyed. We get little divisions, little, you know, wedges between people. You know, our staff, as an example, we've, we've had to put in place a policy, and we've actually talked a lot about this, is our staff has to choose to believe the best about other staff members first. Because we get so many opportunities. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying there's so many of us on any given Sunday, someone can come up to me and says, do you know what such and such a staff member, do you know what Pastor Tim did? Do you know what he said? And then he had the nerve. And you know what else? He needs a haircut. And I'm sitting here going, you know, you're right. He does need a haircut. And and then all of a sudden, there's a wedge driven between me and my buddy, right? Me and a guy that's had my back for 13 years, loving me fiercely. Whoa, that can't happen. And so, for example, our staff has decided we have to love each other with a love that's going to first believe the best. Okay, I'll get to the bottom of it. Thank you. Thank you for bringing my attention. But don't think I got the knives out for Pastor Tim yet. Don't think that. What would happen if we were to do that in our marriages? To say, you know what? I don't think that's what he meant. I don't that, think that that was her intention. Maybe I should sit here and listen to his heart or her heart and choose to believe the best that I'm not being manipulated. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. A love that believes the best and it, when it says, hopes all things. See, when you believe the best, what you're doing is you're hoping for the best. You're hoping that this is going to turn out right. Instead of the opposite, believing or hoping that the worst in that person and this is going to disintegrate. There's a difference between the way the world loves and the way we're called to love. I almost have a feeling that some of us are hoping for things to go bad. You know, all these people where it's just so stressed out about the election. Oh my goodness. And it's just like a soap opera on television. I just can't deal with it. Who's going to win in this country? You love it. Because that's all we talk about. It just feeds us. And we're kind of hoping for the worst. Some people want to see it explode just to justify your bunker and all your ammo. 
and the water and the generator and oh, whatever that is, right? I've offended those groups of people, sorry. But love believes all things and it's hoping all things. It's hoping for the best. It's hoping. Now, I've read a story about George Washington in the middle of the uh, Revolutionary War. You know, he, he was in a tough spot as the commander-in-chief because not only is he leading uh, the rebellion against the British Empire, but he's kind of the de facto king of everything. And so they're bringing him, you know, conspirators and spies and all this kind of stuff. Well, he was in an awkward spot of having to condemn a guy to death, a guy by the name of Michael, uh, his name was Michael Whitman, I believe. And Whitman is condemned to be hung for treason. Imagine that. Back in the day, you could actually be, you know, get in trouble for treason. But um, so this guy, fourth service, give me a break, all right? So this guy's condemned to death. And uh, a pastor, Peter Miller, from his hometown, knew this guy. In fact, this guy was his worst enemy. Back in their little town in Pennsylvania, Michael Whitman did everything he could to slander Peter Miller, his church, his congregation, to make fun, to stand in the way, to tear down and destroy. There's decades of history. Small towns haven't changed much, have they? And decades of being torn down by this guy. So Reverend Peter Miller walked 70 miles to Valley Forge to get to Washington, who had been his friend from the previous French and Indian War. He got an audience with him. And when he was with Washington, Peter Miller, they're making small talk, they're catching up, and then Miller does something almost inexplicable. Washington says, so what's the real reason for you walking 70 miles to see me? And he says, I'm here to beg for the life of Michael Whitman. I believe the best about him. And I don't think he's guilty of this, and I I don't think it's deserving of of orphaning his children and widowing his wife. Washington says, just about anything you could ask me, but you can't ask me to pardon the life of your friend. Peter Miller said, he's not my friend. He's my worst enemy. Washington was so moved that he pardoned him and he sent them home to Pennsylvania together. No longer enemies, friends. I don't know if I could beg for the life of my worst enemy. I'd like to think that I could. That's the kind of love that Jesus loved me with. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, he not only gave his life, but it says he advocates for us. In essence, every minute of every day, as I am a Christian, Christ is begging for my life before God the Father. I'm blown away by how much God believes and hopes in me. How can God possibly put so much faith in us? You ever think about that? God believes in you. God believes that if you're exposed to his love, 
that somehow you might respond and be changed. God believes the best in you. It blows my mind that God actually has hopes that we might actually be just a little bit like him in the way we love our spouses and our children and our enemies and our friends and our church and the lost and, and, and. God has great belief and hope in us. What kind of love is that? I don't even think I understand that love yet. Trying to. That's a love that never stops. That's a love that never stops. Whether you believe back or not, that love never stops. Whether you're changed because of God's hopes, that love never stops. And that's a costly kind of love. He starts out by saying that love bears all things. Well, what does it have to bear? It's got to bear the weight of disappointment. You know what real love does? Love persists even after you've been disappointed. We do the opposite. And the world teaches us to do the opposite, right? What does the world teach us? Love someone as long as they're nice. Back. Love someone as long as they love you back. Love her as long as she looks like she did the day you married her. And stays that way all the way until she's 85. The world says, nope, trade her in, get a trophy wife. I'm being honest. We're fickle. Everything's on the surface. I read something just just this week that says, the American church, above all things, wants to avoid pain and suffering. That's our highest goal. The highest goal of the church in the United States is to avoid pain and suffering above all things. And then we come to the love chapter, the love is patient, love is kind. And Paul says, you know what love is? Love bears all things. Then at the end of this verse, he says, it endures all things. Endure is a word that actually comes from an ancient military term that literally means to drive a stake into the ground. To drive a stake into the ground. I've actually, you know, as a history guy, read some of these stories about entire divisions of archers back when they fought with spears and swords and daggers and bows and arrows and shields, right? And so these guys would actually hamstring themselves. They're so committed to the cause and they would hamstring themselves with a rope and then they would attach that rope to a stake and they would drive it into the ground. That's where they would set up their position and then they would get out their bows and arrows ready to fight the battle. And you know what that meant? Whether we win or lose, whether our team advances or we're overrun, this is where I'm making my stand. When it says love endures all things, it's speaking exactly where your mind is going, to the death. That's a love that never stops. We love to the point of a little bit of discomfort and then we back off. We love to the point of a little bit of disappointment and then, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to love anymore, okay? Detroit Lions, you had me for a while and you can only disappoint me for so long. I'm switching to the Patriots, right? The love that never stops is a love that endures. You know, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of my favorite passages. We're not going to put it on the screen, but I I just want to give you a flavor. This is like the heroes of the faith of Scripture. It's a place in the New Testament where the writer looks back at men and women who loved God with so much passion and, and were so committed in faith that they accomplished great things for God. Some of their names will be familiar to you, like Abel or Enoch. 
Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. We know about all their great victories. They loved and they accomplished much. Rahab, the prostitute, the people when they crossed the Red Sea, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets. And it goes on and on with all of these people. Well, of course, we see their love never stopped and great things were accomplished. The Red Sea parted. The walls of Jericho fell down. Abraham and Sarah, they had a baby, even when they were 100 years old. These great Bible stories. Yes, love never stops. But then in Hebrews 11, you get to verse 36 and it turns. And it goes, in my opinion, to the most heroic people of Hebrews 11. It says, it doesn't even give their names. It says others. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, there's a whole group of people. Their love never stopped and the Red Sea didn't part. Their love and faith never stopped and the walls didn't fall down. Their love never stopped and their marriage wasn't repaired. They loved and never stopped loving. And that child never turned his heart back to Christ. There was no reconciliation with their enemy. You see, love doesn't always win. At least in this life. See, we agree to love never stops as long as we're promised something. Well, there's a promise, but it's not always in this life. But the love that we're called to is a love that never stops, a love that endures. And I've told you that one of the great joys that I have this time of year, every year, it's over now, but is coaching the soccer team. And I don't coach the soccer team because I've got to like, you know, live out my unfulfilled soccer dreams. I fulfilled all those dreams pretty much, okay? I'm a little bit more realistic about what God gave me. But me and Coach Jones, man, we just love these players. We love getting into their lives. We love to see when they learn to love the game and when the lights come on and, you know, the whole team thing. I think you learn so much about yourself, whether you're a guy or a girl, you know, between, you know, the white lines of an athletic competition or whatever you're into, right? And so I always tell my players I love them. I try to tell them often. Especially before big games, I remind them again. Now, you know I love you, right? No matter what happens, I love you. If this goes well, if this goes poorly, I care more about you as a person than how you perform. I, th- I think that's how it should be, right? And so we'd been marching on, and last week you heard we won a little district title, and then we went on to this regional, and boy, I tell you, there's some big boys right there. All right, little farm boys and farm girls, we showed up, and we were in the school of the reels with the big city. And they're not nice people at all. And we were in a battle from the get-go. I mean, we were hanging on by our fingernails from the opening whistle. And at halftime, by God's grace and the creek didn't rise, it was 0-0. And how are we even in this game? But we're battling. Come on, because you love your team and love the guy next to you. Let's do this. Let's go. You love Buckley. Play for the thing. And everyone's just a big love fest. And then about halfway through the second half, one of our players gets red carded. So now we're down a man. Right? So now it's 11 players versus 10. 
And now we're getting into the final minutes. And to be honest, I'm thinking if we could just get to overtime, maybe if we could make it through overtime by a miracle, right? Maybe we'd go to penalty kicks and pull off the greatest upset since Hoosiers. Well, it wasn't meant to be. 37 seconds left. There's a goal scramble. There's a deflection. Ping, ping, ping. Hearts are broken. Goal. See everybody's heads. Like, ah, one team's celebrating, our team's not. We love. Now, what good would it have done at that moment if I'm like, these stinking idiots? They never listen to me. They play too much basketball. They haven't been in the gym. They don't do anything I say. I hate all of you. You're the worst. I'm leaving. Find your own way home. Get on the bus. All right. No. You get a moment of, oh, that hurt. And then I'll tell you, I mean, I, I was thinking about this verse. It bears all things. It believes all things. 35 seconds left. Somebody's got to say, everybody on the line, just kick it that way. Put the goalkeeper up. Everybody, it wasn't meant to be. But I took great joy in bringing them back together and says, I love you. We didn't win. But the love doesn't stop. See, that's a picture of what we're going through right now in life. Love doesn't always win in this life, but God's love never stops, does it? God's love never stops. See, God sent his son Jesus to show us what love is, to talk about love, to teach us to love, to be loved, to be loved with skin on. And you know what we did to love? We killed it. We rejected it. We spit on it, we hated it, we mocked it, we tortured it, we ripped its flesh off, we nailed it on a cross, we killed it, we put it in a grave and put a big rock in front of it. And did that love stop? Did that love stop? No, the grave couldn't keep that love in the ground. The power of that unconditional love that never stops, that's just the hound of heaven's love, blew the doors off that grave three days later and came back more powerful than ever. I love to think about the devil thinking he'd won. Oh, yeah, we showed him, son of God. Watch this. Bip. Three days later, watch this. Checkmate. <laughs> but it's only because God loves, God's love never, ever, ever stops. We see in verse 8, it says, love never ends. God's love. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. See, there's going to come a time we don't need all that stuff. There's going to come a time we don't need preaching. We don't need knowledge of God's word. We're going to be made perfect because we'll see love. We'll experience love in its fullest. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. None of us are going to do this perfectly right now. None of us are going to love perfectly right now. I get that. We're not called to love perfectly. We're just called to never stop loving. No matter what it costs us to love in a way that endures, that believes, that hopes, that bears that weight. Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
You know, I think that when we learn to love in this way in a love that never stops, I, I think that's spiritual maturity. That's what growing up is. We've been talking about this on Fight Club on Thursday. Some of us still have this idea that to be a mature Christian is how much knowledge that we have or how long we've been in church. I think the measurement is how much do you love? What will you bear? What will you believe? What will you hope for? What will you endure for love, love of God and love of people? Verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's he talking about? Some of your translations might say, Right now we see as through a a glass darkly. He's talking about a mirror. You know, in 2016, we have really good mirrors, unfortunately. The older I get, the more I hate mirrors, right? Especially ones that are really good and polished and well-lit and I'm on the other side of. But back in the day, they might have bronze that's polished or brass. That was their mirror. Well, you don't see a very good image of what love is supposed to look like, he's saying. But he says, one day we'll see face to face. Whose face? My face, your face, will come face to face with love himself, Jesus. You see, the love that never stops here proceeds into eternity and never stops there. Faith's going to go away. The need for hope is going to go away. The need to be gifted or, or, or to be sanctified or spiritual growth, all that's going to go away. There's going to be one thing, the essence of eternity, on and on and on it goes, is love. What's heaven like? Love. What's it going to feel like? Love. What's it going to look like? Love. What's it going to be? Love. Love never stops. Whether you're here today and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, God's love for you never stops. Now, we don't all receive his love. There's people here today, I'm sure, that, you know, you go to church or you're dragged here or you're working or you're doing whatever. You're just trying to make somebody happy and you're here. Or maybe you're really investigating it, okay? That's cool. You're an honored guest. God's love for you never stops. It never stops now. It never stops in eternity. But you must receive it. You must accept it. You must believe it. You must recognize that his love never stops and ask him into your life in order to be a Christian. And unfortunately, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people here that will call themselves Christians and you've never really received God's love either. Or you've received it, but not in such a way that it's never stopping towards others. You've said, listen, I just want just enough of your love so I can get to heaven. Don't give me so much that it spills out and I have to share it with somebody. How pathetic is that? That's not a real Christian life, in my opinion. That's not what, at least what God called us to. That's apathetic, that's stagnant, that's self-centered, that's selfish, it's the worst. We're called to receive that love that never runs out, It never stops, and we're called to love the same way, even if it means, even if it means that we don't see a victory in this life, even if it means our worst enemy doesn't become our friend, even if it means, man, I loved hard and we still lost the game, 35 seconds left. But the love's never supposed to stop, regardless of the consequences. It's called to endure. Love never ends. 
years back, I think it was right after World War II, New York City was a horrible, horrible place. I mean, you might think it's a horrible place right now, but that's beside the point. I'm talking about crime, violence. There was a lot of immigrants, a lot of uh, uh, people from other countries didn't have a ton of money. And so it was going downhill real fast, particularly with the gang violence. And if you'll remember, I think it was near the end of the 50s, there, there was one gang in particular that was worse than all the rest. They were called the Mao Maos, right? And this gang of Mao Maos had committed so many murders and, and you know, stabbings and robbery and arson, you name it. I mean, they made a living just with terror. A skinny pastor by the name of David Wilkerson felt called to the gangs of New York City. And he started a ministry right down there among them and lived right among them and had a group of people trying to feed them, trying to care for them, trying to start conversations with them, hold concerts, you know, just engage them in some type of a ministry. And it was pretty sketchy. In particular, based on what he'd heard, he went after the Mao Maos. And he had an opportunity to meet their leader who was legendary. His name was Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz didn't want anything to do with God or anything to do with a ministry and nothing to do with some skinny preacher. But this guy just pursued and he pursued and he showed love to these horrible people. As they both tell the story years later, there was one night where there was a confrontation. It was a fierce confrontation. It was in an alley with David Wilkerson, the preacher, and Nicky Cruz, this gang leader of the Mau Maus, who estimated he'd stabbed like 35 people when he met David Wilkerson. And in this, in this confrontation, Cruz had told him, you need to leave. We're not interested in you and what you have to offer. And this guy's trying to share the love of Christ with him. And he's not interested. And it got to the point where Cruz pulls out a switchblade and threatens him. In fact, the way I heard the story, he had it at his throat. And he said, preacher, you need to leave here. I'll cut you. He goes, I will kill you and I will cut you into a thousand pieces. Now, I don't know what you'd do if you had a knife to your throat with that. Wilkerson's response was, Nikki, you can kill me, and you can cut me into a thousand pieces, and every piece will say I love you. Wrecked him. Cruz left, went home, couldn't sleep, days, weeks. What kind of love loves that way? Everyone else, when he threatened, went away. This one said, this love never stops, you understand? Kill me, cut me into a thousand pieces, it's going to love you. Eventually, Nicky Cruz gave his life to Christ. Big deal. In fact, after that, he's going around to other gangs threatening them, come listen to the preacher, I'll cut you into a thousand pieces. <laughs> spiritual gift. I don't know if he did that. I'm just... <laughs> Jesus loved that way, didn't he? Nicky Cruz became a preacher, loving the same way. He experienced the love that never stops, and it changed him. It transformed him. But he believed Wilkerson was telling the truth, that if he'd have cut him that day, his love would have never stopped. That's how we're called to love. So as we finish this, uh, this series, I, I think it's appropriate for us to reflect together. 
We're almost done. We're going to sing here in a minute. But I would ask you right now, if you just bow your head and we like to create a little space where we can be quiet, where we're not moving around, we're not bothering anybody, we're not leaving church early because if we just have some songs and a little speech, it's worthless. But now's a moment where we can ask God, God, what are you saying to me? Maybe for you right now, now's the time for you to start thanking God for that love that never stops. Maybe you've never thanked him for that before. Maybe take a moment to say, God, thank you for a love that never stops. A love that never fails. A love that goes on and on and on. Maybe you're not sure that you believe in God at all. That's all right. I would invite you to take a risk. Talk to him. Say something like, God, if you're real, would you make yourself known to me in a way that I can understand and I can believe, that I can sense? Because I think deep down, we all want to be loved that way. We all want to believe it's true. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to experience that love for the first time, we'd invite you to ask Him into your life. If you're here today and you are a Christian and you know you've never loved that way or, or thought about God's love that way, I invite you to ask God to help you to love that way for the first time. Because one of the best ways to experience that love is to give that love, a love that never ends, a love, a love that bears and hopes and believes and endures. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love us that way. Lord, I thank you that these three remain faith, hope, and love. But God, I thank you that the greatest of these is love. And I pray that you would help us to be individuals that love that way. That we would be more than just attenders of a church with a sticker on our car. But that we would love that way. God, would you help us as a church to love that way. The love that never ends for your glory and our joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.